In the spirit of reconciliation, Tabletop Unknown acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Tabletop Unknown Hello and welcome back to Tabletop Unknown, the show where we playtest lesser known Tabletop RPGs. Uh, I am back. It's Will here, back from parental leave, and with me, as always, is Jesse, my man. How you doing? Good. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. It's good to this. be back. It's a great time. Uh, forgive me if I sound strange or if I cough suddenly. I just had COVID, so um, ah, I'm a bit rough, unfortunately. But you managed to avoid it until it's no longer fashionable. Correct. I've not got it for three <laughs> years until just now, so that's a bit. It, I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I, look, I'm proud of you too. I think it's a it's a huge achievement to not have gotten it until now. Um, and I'm sorry to hear that you've been unwell, but uh, I'm glad to hear that you're on the mend. In theory, it could just be because I don't have a social life, but we both know that that's not <laughs> true, unfortunately. So, um, Yes, absolutely. I wish I had less of one. No, that's not true. <laughs> I like everyone I see. I just like a lot of people. Anyway... Why are we here, Will? Well, we're here to talk about a very uh, a very fun game, a game that we've been promising for quite some time, and that is Cyberpunk Red by Artelzorian Games. So spicy, so excited. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is something that we've been talking about for a while and um and uh, we've sort of been teasing it and promising it and then, you know, plans have changed and stuff, but we're finally dipping our toe into this really incredible world and I'm really excited. How are you feeling about it? Pretty cool. I mean, so far, like I, I, my exposure to cyberpunk was cyberpunk 2077, the video game. Yep. And I've also yep. recently watched edge runners, which was excellent. Oh um, yeah. I've heard really good things about it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And yeah, I just really love the world. I loved it because of just like the actual world itself is just really awesome. It's so immersive um, so yeah. much so I played so much cyberpunk that the the vernacular within the game has bled into my everyday life. So like <laughs> I'll say preem to things like premium, yeah. preem. Yeah. I've called people tomb by accident. Like <laughs> it's so funny. Um it is. But yeah. like I just really love the I really love the world. I really love the game and I created my character today and I'm in love with my character as well. So I'm so excited. Um, how about yeah, you? No, Do you have much understanding of cyberpunk? Look, it's it's interesting because I didn't think I did until like I knew that it was an RPG and I knew that when the um the, the video game was being developed that that was a big deal for a lot of people. Um, I vaguely recalled just recently when I was looking through this book and reading through it, um, when I was very young and someone was trying to explain to me, like, no, when I was very young, I was like maybe 14 or 15 or something. And someone that I go, my family goes camping with was actually trying to explain to me what a tabletop RPG was. Um, and I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about anything other than Dungeons and Dragons, which seems to be the, the case for a lot of people when they're you know, exploring tabletop RPGs, but he was describing this world to me. Um, and I didn't, re I don't remember it being called cyberpunk, but the way he described it, it must be this game that he was talking about, or at least one of the previous iterations of it, either cyberpunk 2020, or um, I think the first one was cyberpunk 93 or something like that. Mm. So um, yeah, it, it's interesting because it, it, it has been in my brain for quite some time, but most of my knowledge of it also comes from the uh, really enjoyable cyberpunk 2077 yeah it's so good mm. it got so much flack 
for being released a bit early, but I played it on PlayStation 4 for about... I played about 80 hours across four save files, and I never yeah. finished the game. Yeah, right. And then when it got its um, PlayStation 5 update... And I, I played another 60 hours of it on one side file and I loved it. And I can't wait for the DLC. I can't wait to go back to it and play it again because I just had so much fun. And I just love the world. It's so cool. I've always really loved cyberpunk because it's it's this sort of strange genre of um, like a hyper-realistic view of like a dystopia, but also like sort of like warning of like how bad corporate nightmarish hell the future could become if we don't yeah. keep keep our eye on it and i just really love that because i hate capitalism and what that makes us how that makes us be as people yeah, yeah. um so yeah i just love the stories in it i i really love the flavor of it um i'm a big old weeb so i love the uh japanese influence as well which is awesome um which does get some criticism rightly so every now and then but also mm. i find that um, a lot of people that identify with Japanese culture actually do identify with it also. I um, mean, there is a sub-genre of, or a sub-sort of um, culture in Japan revolving around cyberpunk, which if you look up online is incredible. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it's a very, very rich space, the cyberpunk theme as well as the cyberpunk world. Yeah, it's interesting. I was trying to explain it to one of our players who um, has never played any tabletop RPG before, and but but knows what Dungeons and Dragons is, as we've sort of come to expect from a lot of our players. And she was like, "What, what what's the world like?" And I was trying to explain it, and there's nothing else you can really compare it to. You can yeah. sort of compare it a bit to Blade Runner. You can sort of compare it a bit to to other sort of um, you know neo noir neon futures but it's kind of its own thing and that's what makes it really fascinating and unique and it's interesting that you said about the sort of the realism and all that sort of stuff because a lot of me a lot of me when i was playing this game thinks that it's quite cynical the way that it looks at the future but then you sort of see how kind of scarily accurate it can be in terms of capitalistic greed and all that sort of stuff and yeah maybe it's not so cynical yeah so. especially when you look at stuff like brands pretending to be people online despite the fact that they have a whole marketing team writing tweets and like yeah, yeah. you know they're like we're pretending to be this kind of person uh on our social media presence uh yeah. and it's just like it's like 18 people making that decision to get people to identify with the brand or you look at like how you literally can't go outside without seeing an advertisement anywhere which is one of mm. my core hates about the world is that yeah i i have no personal like viewing um safety like I, I i can't control the things that i see and yeah. i'm forced to look at advertisements that are just placed somewhere in front of me because someone owns land there and put a big billboard on it like mm. yeah and then you look at like some of the really core stuff about night city and cyberpunk and it's all like there is capitalistic hell there's advertisements on literally everything you cannot sit you cannot there's pretty much not a point in that game where you can't see an advertisement, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really love that criticism, but then it's also got really exciting things about the internet or it's called the net in this. Mm. Um, uh, like the, yeah, again, I just really love the game world and how it criticizes 
our current living. Like I, cyberpunk as a, as a genre does that really well. It really criticizes our current life. And I, yeah. I think it's a really good lens to look at it through because, you know, you look at like George Orwell 1984 and stuff like that and they're like cautionary tales. Um, cyberpunk as a genre is almost a cautionary tale, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's probably the, um, the, the hardest thing about, uh, even though we'll talk about this more probably in Pizza Talk, but the hardest thing about writing for this game and creating the session, because I'm DMing uh, this season, um, has been ensuring that my understanding of the world and the world building and the law is as accurate as it can be because there is so much in it. It is so rich. It is oh, so detailed. Yeah. Like half, um, half of the source book, I think pretty much from page 219 to yep. like... 330 or something is all law yeah and like how yeah. and it's it just gives you all this content that you can use and mm. the game is set it's in 20 2035 i think or 2045 2045 yeah um but it gives you like the last sort of what from 1990 onwards yeah of, of yeah. law and history which is just amazing which, look, seeing as we've come to, I might just sort of go touch a little bit on some of those, um, some of that timeline. Not not in great detail, but the things that are going to seriously affect our understanding of the world, I'll probably uh, I'll probably touch on. So I might as well launch yeah, right into that. Yeah, let's get into Unless it. you have anything else you wanted to say? Not at all. Uh, just that this system is written by the same people that did, by the Pondsmiths, uh, the same people that did the Witcher yes. tabletop role-playing yeah. game. So a lot yeah. of what we're going to talk about today is going to be very similar to that season. So if you're a regular listener, um, know that it is very similar and we're going to be repeating mm. a lot of stuff. But if you haven't listened to us before um, and this is your first season, uh, yeah, we're still going to cover everything as well as we can. So Yeah, and welcome. And welcome. Take us away, Will. <clears throat> so the world of uh, Cyberpunk Red, as I've sort of said, is set in 2045. Um, and it's, it starts in a, it, it lives in a world where our timeline diverged from this timeline around about the 19, uh, 1990, when a, a coup that was, um, was launched on the United States government by what's called the Gang of Four, which is essentially four government agencies, um, including the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, and uh, the vice president of the time. And so in that coup essentially ends federal democracy in the United States. Uh, and as a result, a lot of states in the United States begin ignoring federal authority, um, declaring themselves uh, free states. And this starts off a, uh, a, con a conflict that, that lasts for quite some time. Um, we then sort of fast forward to... Um, where do we fast forward to? Let's fast forward to... The corporate world? The late... Yeah, the corporate wars. So the late 1990s, uh, there's been a lot of infighting in the United States. Um, and then we get to what's called the first of a series of um, wars called the First Corporate War, which is basically a bunch of uh, raids and cyberspace attacks against between um, two major corporations. Uh, and that's sort of the first look that the world has 
as to what two corporations can look like when they're fighting with each other. And that lasts from 2004 through to 2006 and is quickly followed in 2008 by the Second Corporate War, which again lasts for two years. Uh, Again, between two corporations um, over the rights to oil fields. Uh, Then we have um, in that time as well... um, Nope, actually, let's fast forward to 2016, where we have the third corporate war. um, And that, again, is just a a bunch of fighting between corporations. And then before we get to the next corporate war, which happens in 2022, we have what's called um, the data crash virus, which is activated. Mm. And the data crash virus is basically the end of the World Wide Web. It's a it's a it's an it's a virus that sort of activates a rogue AI, which is tracking down and killing people who are connected to the World Wide Web, and as a result of that, a lot of corporations that control cities, a lot of these free states, disconnect themselves from the World Wide Web and create their own sort of localized network. Kind of um, like so an intranet, no, right? For like different yeah, like cities an and states that runs along a city or a state. Yeah, so it's still as detailed. Um, uh, or, you know, in some cases is as detailed as what could have been found on the World Wide Web, but it is its own sort of internal network as opposed to something that can be connected to from anywhere in the world. Uh, in amongst all of this as well, we have the rise of uh, cybernetics. And so connecting your brain directly to the internet or connecting your limbs to the internet, uh, also replacing parts of your body with um, artificial replacements to improve organ function or vision, things like that, all becomes really commonplace around about this time as well. Um, Then we get the fourth corporate war, which is um, between two of the most common or or most known corporations in the cyberpunk world. It's a shooting war between Arasaka and Militech. Um, and the conflict actually spans pretty much the entire globe, heavy combat bat in, in most major cities, um, and uh, yeah, just, just really, really devastating and bloody war, which lasts from 2022 through, through to 2025. Um, before the end of the, the Fourth Corp War, we have uh, a, an incident which occurs in the video game. So if you've played the video game, you will, you will see this, um, have seen this. There's a, a character called Johnny Silverhand who leads a raid on an Arasaka uh, facility attempting to steal or destroy this, this database. And during this assault, they... Um, they detonate a nuclear weapon, which destroys a lot of the central part of Night City, which is the major city that um, a lot of these game, a lot of the game takes place in. Um, a bunch of people are killed, about half a million, uh, and then another quarter of a million die through to the nuclear fallout. Um, and yeah, so it's a really devastating event that occurs in night city and then as a result of that and as a result of sort of the particles from the nuclear blast as well as debris from um, um orbital rock strikes happening as a result of this corporate war um there's uh, other things that are happening as well burning and annihilation of uh, agricultural areas creates what's called the time of the red and essentially it's just a red pal that that uh, occurs over the skies worldwide um, for nearly sort of two years, the skies are tinged with red across 
across the day, but that sort of dies down to become um, just these like brilliant red sunsets and sunrises, as well as, you know, rainfall can come down looking almost bloody and things like that. And that lasts right through to the time that we exist in, which is 2045. Wow. Um, it, 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 it sort of fluctuates in severity, but that's why it's called Cyberpunk Red because it exists in this this time where um, the world looks red thanks to a whole bunch of infighting during that uh, during that fourth corporate war. Um, that's pretty much all I'm going to really touch on because that's that's what I oh actually no there's one last thing I'll touch on sure uh, and that is that in sort of just immediately prior to 2045, there is an attempt to clear out the the rogue AI, which is called Rabbids in the World Wide Web, or what's called the Old Net. Um, but that's ultimately there's it's ultimately a losing battle, and they give up. Um, although some rogue net runners still try and go into the Old Net, uh, it is a really really dangerous place to be in. Um, and then that happens just before we get to 2045. So yeah, that's sort of where we end up in. Um, a lot of changes happening in the world. Uh, this this time of the red, this these red sunsets, red sunrises, red rain is still occurring. Um, but the world is starting to sort of recover a little bit from this devastating war that occurred almost 20 years prior to where we're playing. Cool. There's a yeah. lot in there that like there's a lot in there that you can really play around with and capitalize on. That's that's really cool. It absolutely is. And like, it's something that you need to, as I sort of said, you need to get your head around what the law looks like if you want to try and play this game um, because there is so much to it. Uh, yeah, like there's whole chapters on just what the um, what the, the downfall of the United States looked like, what the Gang of Four looked like, what the rise of the Megacorps looked like. Um, there's so much to it and it's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I've read... I've read a little bit about the law. A lot of yeah. it I didn't want to delve too deep into before today because I knew mm. you would have a lot to say and I didn't want to double down on law talk. But, no, absolutely, um, yeah. One of my favourite things about it is the whole internet situation. It's really fascinating. All these little, like, different fragments of the net, like, yeah. separated. Because, like, that's that's so easy to just be, like, propaganda. Yeah, you know? and, and all that sort of stuff, which is interesting. And I really like one of my favorite parts about it is that you can like you can plug your brain directly into the internet and it like visually you believe yourself to be visually seeing the information and you can interact with the internet in a sort of physical space that isn't real. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And all that sort of hacking stuff is really cool. Um, and the way they do it in the video game is really cool. Um, and the way they do it in this game is really cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I think is really interesting, again, about the, the net situation is that the, the the networks that now exist in the world aren't necessarily separate from the what the old net. They've just sort of created these safe zones where this AI doesn't exist. Yeah, it can't um, get to. Yeah, it can't get to. And so um, and using almost like a VPN to sort of just hide this part of the yeah. net from the AI. It's really, really fascinating. Um, and yeah, just there's so much to it. Again, and one last, one last thing I'll touch on on the law that I really enjoyed is there's three whole pages in this book which gives you street slang um, yes. <laughs> and different words to use and talk and stuff. And I think I, I think I want to have that in front of me because I just really want to lean into the slang a lot. I think yeah, it's just, yeah. it'd be really immersive and really cool. 
I think we are going to have to have cheat sheets. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, like, they just, it really just does immerse. This this game already, I can tell it does really well at immersing you in the in the action and, and in yeah. the world. So um, I'm very excited. But that's pretty much all for the lore chat, which was quite a quite a hefty one. Usually we don't do a hefty lore thing, but it is so important to the game world. We just really needed to. Um, yeah. Let's talk about character creation, Will. Yeah, so character creation I found really interesting in this. Something that we really loved in The Witcher season was the backstory creation um, through the life path mechanic. Uh, And that exists again here. So you can absolutely uh, use that mechanic. And how that works is basically you are given, uh, you take a a 10-sided dice, and this is just for backstory creation. So I'll get into what your character can actually look like in just a second. But uh, for backstory creation, and if you're not comfortable creating a backstory for your character, it's a really good way to, to do that. Is basically you take a D10 and there is a whole bunch of different options that you can um, that you can then use that D10 to create your character. So the first thing you're going to do is decide what their cultural origin is going to be. And you're going to roll your D10, so one 10-sided dice, and then based on the outcome of that, you're going to have your cultural... Um, um, your cultural background. So uh, if you roll a one, it's North American, uh, a two is South or Central American, a three is Western European, a four is Eastern European, yada, 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 right down to um, Oceania or Pacific Islander, which is your 10 die. So a whole bunch of different options in there. You've got Sub-Saharan African, South Asian, Southeast Asian, uh, East Asian, and then, yeah, your, uh, Oceania and Pacific Islander as well. And the, the cool thing about that is that other than just like maybe giving you an idea of what you may look like, it also gives you the option of the a list of languages that you yeah. could know, that you could at least yeah. choose one of these languages that being from here, you would know, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And so it does have uh, real world applications as well for your character, but also it's just a way to, to, to give you that nice sort of background. Um, from there, you're going to choose your personality type. So again, you've got... Uh, a d10 10 different uh outcomes uh and it goes through a bunch of different stuff so you can choose your clothing styles your what your values are what you like about people um value people or possessions uh family background i I don't want to go through all of them because we i think we went through all of them in the witcher thing and they are very similar but pretty um, much the same yeah it's just it's a really really fun way to um to create your character backstory. It's really cool because if, you, if you're if you really struggling to come up with a character concept, you can just roll and see what happens. Like I created my character today and I had no idea what I wanted to play. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and this, and it's funny actually, Will and I suggest doing, the book doesn't actually get you to do the rolling for your backstory first. It gets you to choose your role first, but we yeah. highly recommend rolling your backstory first and then choosing the most applicable role based on your backstory because it's just going to feel so much more richer because yeah. I, I rolled a character first and I didn't, really wasn't inspired by them. So I just re-rolled again. And then immediately based on all the roles and things that came up, I was like, Oh my God, I am absolutely playing a nomad. And, yeah. and it, it was just all the arrangement there lined up in a really cool way, which gave me a lot mm. of really interesting interactions with my backstory that I'm like, like, I now don't need to choose a class because this character is so compelling to me and it's so obvious that I'm this class or yeah. role is what it's called in this game. Um, speaking of roles, Will, do you want to talk us through the roles? 
Yeah, absolutely. So your roles in this game are kind of like your classes in any other sort of campaign that you, uh, any other game that you might have played, your D&D campaign, things like that. Um, and your classes are, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them in the um, the core rulebook. I don't know if there's any uh, expanded I'm not sure. I haven't checked. This. That's probably a failing on us, actually. I'll, yeah, I'll just probably quickly, a failing. But as I'll it, you know, we only ever... You. We only ever look into the core rule books in this, uh, in our uh, seasons. So yeah, if there is, I'll get Jesse quickly look through that while I talk you through the the roles. And you start off with the rocker boys, uh, and rocker boys are generally some sort of like street poet, social conscience, uh, rebel of the time kind of character. Um, rocker boys are generally depicted as musicians or hard rockers but they don't have to be they can be um writers poets uh, any sort of performance uh character who is trying to i guess um be the be the anti uh anti megacorp um person really anarchist and like um, yeah anarchist fuck the man sort of energy about them Absolutely. But these yeah. are these are essentially the bards, right? Because they're, they're yeah, charis- yeah, they're, they're kind charismatic, of very charisma charis- charisma based. They can inspire people just by being around them. They can sort of inspire people to to do things that they might not um, usually do. Yeah, so very very charisma based characters. Uh, then we have uh, solos who are generally just sort of you're like your 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 front military M- military people, right? Combat combat per- a heavy person. Um, and I should add that these characters all have a, uh, ability that is specific to their, to their role. And again, this is similar to the Witcher as well, which had an ability, like a, a, a class ability, I think as well from memory. Yeah. The cool um, thing about, of, just to quickly, the cool thing about each class getting its unique ability is that it never, it'll never feel like whatever you choose isn't going to be relevant. Like sometimes in D&D, you can have someone that can just do your main thing better than you and it's not even their main thing and it's a bit disappointing yeah. but in, yeah. but in this as long as you're all playing different classes like there is going to be something that you will always be better at than everyone else and yeah. that's 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 where this role ability comes in which is really cool so for like Absolutely. the solos it's combat awareness which yeah. is like they just they can know um they they essentially they can, can like analyze a battle, battlefield yeah, yeah. just due to their training and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, the Rocker Boys' role ability is charismatic impact. So um, again, it's, it comes back to that being able to influence others um, through their just their presence or their personality or something better than any other people. And as Jesse's just mentioned, the solos is combat awareness. Uh, then we have net runners, and net runners are kind of like the um, the hackers uh, or the they're kind of like a combat character, but specifically about hacking and taking down um, connected devices or people. Uh, they have a, their rollability, which is interface, which allows them to net run, basically interfere interface with um, electronic devices. Uh, electronic what they call cyber decks to control computers electronics and any other sort of programming in the real world um they're generally depicted as having these big goggles which allow them to sort of see in uh artificial no not artificial sorry augmented reality as opposed to virtual reality virtual reality full virtual reality isn't really that common in the cyberpunk universe um, yeah, it's all because augmented. It's, it's seen as quite dangerous as well, with you know the rise of rabbits. Uh, however, augmented reality 
is quite common and with the net runners in particularly um then we have uh, a tech class or tech role which is kind of like a artificer if you've ever, if you play D D, it's basically like a mechanic or a tinkerer someone who can um you know take something and make it into something else that sort of thing uh can can get um get supplies that sort of thing and their role ability is maker which allows them to fix improve modify or invent new items um so they're sort of a good support character there. Then we have the med tech role, uh, whose role ability is medicine, <laughs> which uh, kind of makes sense. Keep yeah. people alive, which who should be able to be dead with using that knowledge, tools, and training. And yeah, they are sort of a support character, a doctor. You know, keep people alive. The human body is is their tool of trade. The cool thing about the med tech as well is that even though everyone can learn like a medical skill or a first aid skill only med techs can specialize and they can specialize into surgery pharmaceuticals or cryo systems so i think surgery is like fixing meat people pharmaceuticals is like working with drugs and toxins and that sort of thing and cryo systems is like i think cryo systems is like keeping net runners from dying because their bodies get hot when they net run yeah okay yeah or it's like yeah. dealing with cybernetics and stuff like that i think it's that all of that is sort of like encased in there so they they can do much more hardcore stuff in terms yeah. of medicine than just anyone else learning than your average aid joe can. yeah cuz you can all have levels in first aid but yeah really fixing problems is a med tech's role um, then we have media roles, uh, and media roles are your, you know, your press people, your, um, your, uh, investigative your news, reporters, investigative reporters, news runners. So that cool sort of that thing. this is a class. It so is really cool. cool that it's a class. And I really love their role ability, which is credibility. Um, and again, it's sort of a charisma based character, I guess, because they're the credibility role allows you to persuade people of the of of the truth but not necessarily the truth what they want the truth to be Mm. um does that make sense yeah 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 Yeah, so you you can essentially rewrite the truth for whoever's your audience is right yeah absolutely and so uh you can be used by the corporations or you can be used against the corporations to push an agenda essentially um which i think is really really cool uh, next up, we have the execs, and the execs are your um, corporate workers. They they work in the corporate ladder, um, and they oftentimes have sold their soul to whatever company they work for. Sometimes you you might be working um, in a company to find up dirt on another company, which is something that we saw a lot in Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Um, but yeah, they are very much the the, the corporate workers. Um, their rollability is teamwork, so they're role allows them to build a team whose members help them accomplish their goals so just being able to to morally uh morale boost their team and and have them complete whatever function they need to to have completed i think they can also they can also like build a team of npcs to do stuff as well which is really cool yes they can and they they can also have um uh Sorry, through through their t- their role ability, they can also get access to things like um, housing and clothing based on how far up the corporate ladder they yeah, are. Yeah, cool. Um, which is something that's really cool as well. Uh, next up, we have Lawman, which is kind of like a uh, solo, except they are law abiding. They work for the the police. 
department, whereas a, a solo doesn't necessarily work for anyone, um, doesn't really have any moral code. So uh, a lawman, yeah, is very much about keeping the peace in Night City um, and their rollability is backup. So they can call upon a group of fellow officers to back them up in a sticky situation, which could it's be really cool. handy, could be really cool, depending very on cool. what sort of campaign you're running. Um, the, the backup also has like... Uh, arms and armor based on their rank so that that can be a really cool thing as well next up we have the fixer and the fixer is kind of like the the go between between people who need stuff to be done and people who can get stuff done so they find the work and give it to people they think can complete the work um they can operate on the black market. They can, yeah, they're sort of like your your morally grey characters that exist in the shadows, but also in the real world as well. Um, their rollability is operator. So yeah, that ability to get things on the black market, navigating the complex social structures and customs of the streets um, where, you know, cultures and, and, and um, different class levels might collide. So they're really a good all-round character in terms of operating in the the very unique makeup of Night City. Yeah, they're like wheelers and dealers. They can get yeah. shit, they can they can get shit done. They can make deals that other people can't. They yeah. they can get jobs that other people can't, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, really absolutely. Fun. Then the last role we have is the Nomad, which I believe you are playing in our campaign, Jesse. Yes. Um, and our Nomads are kind of. Uh, kind of rebelling against the idea of the city. Um, they exist in like tribes of people out in the wasteland, like more, I don't want to say the wastelands, but like the, the more, the low lying parts of, of uh, any sort of outskirts of the city. Um, and their role ability is motto. So they... Moto. Mo- moto sorry yes moto, moto. Yeah. um they and basically they it allows them to collect a range of vehicles yeah and you can it's really cool they they get a vehicle and it's yeah. like it's not necessarily theirs but it's from their their nomad group or or, or tribe which are called families i think yeah memory. families or something like that and um you can every time you level up your moto ability you can upgrade uh, you can either upgrade a car or you can get a new vehicle of some kind or upgrade a vehicle or get a new vehicle and you can get like land vehicles sea vehicles or air vehicles which is really cool yeah um yeah all of those roll abilities they all start at level four which just puts you at something that's like you can you're good at what you do but you can pick up other roll abilities and essentially multi-class as well but you start at a one when you do that so yeah yeah. Again, it's really really cool in that way that you can do that sort of thing. You can still multi-class. You're not necessarily locked into one thing. Um, yeah. Just in case it's like, well, we don't have someone who can hack. So when I level up, I'll go into hacking and I'll start doing that. Yeah. No. That's uh. It, so yeah. That's those are the uh, the the roles. Um. And they're all sort of varied and like we were saying, they're very unique and the things that they can do. Their role abilities are something that are very unique to them, which makes composition of your your campaign characters quite, um, important. I guess to make sure that mm. you're, if you if you're interested in running this as a as a long running game, making sure you're covering as many bases as possible. And we've just sort of luckily in the four people that we have have fallen into four different roles which is really really cool um so it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes uh next up 
the way that once you've decided what your character role is going to be, you're going to run your life path or, or as we said, you're going to run your life paths first and then choose a role based on that. But the cool thing about the life path in this system specifically is that it then has a follow up uh, role based life path. So once you've run the role life path to get to your past and who your what your thoughts and feelings are and who you live with and around you and all that sort of stuff, you have uh, role based life paths as well. So there is a page of role of life path rolling to be done for the rocker boys specifically, for the solo specifically, for the netrunner specifically, um, all the way through to the uh, nomads specifically as well, which I don't think existed in the Witcher campaign. No, it, it was didn't. just It was just the one no. life path for everyone, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I can quickly run you through my life path, my, my role-specific life path. Yeah, please, like, just to please. Talk. So, so my nomad pack, I called them the Shanghai because yeah. they're a bunch... Um, I rolled and they are smugglers. So when you Shanghai something is when you steal something. So the Shanghai. Yep. Um, I rolled for how many people they are and they have hundreds of members. Yep. Um, we rolled for who doesn't like us. Corrupt politicians hate us, uh, which <laughs> is fun. I imagine yep. that's because we're smuggling shit everywhere. Yeah. Um, yep. And I rolled for sort of like our standard of what's acceptable and what's not. And we will occasionally slip up and do unethical things, but it's rare. Yeah. Um, so essentially, of all the options you get, it's it's it, again it's different for every for every role. So mine was all about my nomad pack um, and where I come, like what how big they are, what they do, how many there are. But for like the um, the solo, it's all about like um, your previous combat experience and stuff like that, and or what weapons you're good with and those sorts of things. I think yeah yeah from memory. So each one's really different and really cool. So not only do you get your interesting life path backstory, you can also customize why why you are the class you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's worth noting that on all these roll tables, you don't have to roll. You can just choose. Absolutely. Rolling because it's more interesting. And that's something that I found with when uh, one of our other cast members, Steph, when I was talking to her about her character, I said to her, just have a bit of a think about what sort of character you might want to exist in this world, not really knowing how deep she would go into that. And when we when we jumped on a call to, to make a character yesterday, she had a really strong idea as to what her character was and who they were and what they were doing in Night City. And, and so you cool. can absolutely come to it with that sort of... Uh, that sort of knowledge or that sort of passion as well. You don't have to do the life path thing. I just think it's super interesting if you are struggling to do it that way. Yeah, because um, I had no idea, and now I've got a character that I'm that I've so fleshed out, and I feel so confident in how I'm going to play them. Yeah, that it was only it was less than two hours, and I have a full character, which is awesome. I know. But yeah, I'm so excited. To, yeah. to introduce everyone to her and get to play her. So I, it's funny because I'm I've been as I've already said I'm making the campaign for this game and I wasn't as excited as I was until I started talking to people about their characters. Yeah, and, then I, and now I'm just like, yeah, this is gonna be so cool. This is gonna very, be really awesome. Very fun. Um, so once you've decided on your character and you've 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 done your life path, you've worked out who your character is. You then need to uh, generate your stats. Um, now stats in this game, there is uh, oh, sorry. Intelligence. Do you want me to go through? I can. Do yeah, that if you could, that'd be great. I just yep. somehow lost my page. That's all right. So the base stats. Again, if you're not unfamiliar with RPG role playing games, you have like base statistics that determine a bunch of your other statistics. So there's intelligence, which is how much you know. 
your reflex, which is how fast you react to things, your dexterity, which is how well you can manipulate things or respond to visual stimuli with your body, tech, which is your ability and knowledge on technical things and, and electronics and computers, uh, cool, which is how well you keep your cool, um, willpower, which is how strong you are mentally, uh, luck, which is how lucky you are. Luck is a resource that you can also spend to increase your roles. Um, and then they're your base sort of core stats. And the cool thing about the statistics is there's actually a few ways to generate characters and specifically your statistics is that, um, the game gives you some quick start options. So it's like, Hey, if you just want to get in and play here, like here are a bunch of stat arrays and you can roll and choose one. Um, yeah, I did the middle sort of version of the creating your character method, which is like, shoot, there's one where it's like, here's a bunch of pre-generated characters and you get to tweak them a little bit. The one, the way I did it was I, it says, here's a bunch of pre-made options for your st- stat blocks. Choose yeah. them, choose yeah. one. And that's what I did because it was just quicker than div- individually choosing all my statistics. Yeah, absolutely. So there is those, those, those three different methods of generating your stats, which I think is something that is, again, different from The Witcher. They didn't have this um, no. as an option in The Witcher, which I think is really, really interesting. Yeah, it's and a really good is... quality of life, like like just a real like accessibility option, which I yeah. think is really cool. It really Absolutely. takes out a lot of that um, dauntingness because like when you when you do, there's other skills and we'll get into that in a sec, but when you ch- d- d- write, like put all your skills out, you get like 83 points to put across like, 30 different skills. Yeah. Which can, which be, can quite be overwhelming. Overwhelming as heck. Yeah. Um, but if you just that's... get a list and it tells you what, what it is, then that's great for new players. Yeah. Yeah. And which is something that I, th- I think I gave um, Steph the option of doing it either way. And I said, look, I can give you 86 points and you can go through if you want, or we can just do it this way. And she's like, no, 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 let's just do it this way. This seems really interesting. So it is an interesting way to generate your stats and skills. So yeah, as and Jesse, that's, yeah, and, and that's the thing, like, I know our other two players, Callum and Jono, they, I'm pretty certain they are, they have gone and done the full individual 81 or whatever points mm. it is and mm. done it by themselves, which is so fine. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even do that. And I'm, you know, one of the hosts. One of the nerds who runs this podcast. Yeah. And like, for me, it was just, I was like, oh my God, hell yes. This is so much easier. I yeah. don't need to think. And now I know all the things that I'm really good at without even having to worry about it. And you get a stat array, different stat arrays to choose from for each role. So the Nomad has like, again, it's a D10. So there's 10 different stat arrays. Yeah. Um, and they for- do they do seem to like um, make the stats that a Nomad would have, you know, that's the higher stats. But there is fluctuations in that as well. Like you could have a Nomad that has a seven in intelligence so it makes it slightly, you know, slightly smarter than some of the other nomads, you know. Um, so yeah, it, like it, I, when I was choosing my skills for the nomad, I was like, oh, well, that, that's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I was like, oh, that has the highest, um, that is the highest reflex. I, I want that one. Yeah. Because I wanted to be good with like how quickly I do things because my nomads are drivers and that they, they pilot vehicles. So I thought that was important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it is interesting. So yeah, like we said, there's a number. There's a couple of different ways to generate those stats. You can just get get it on the um, the one to ten array for your roll, uh, or you can uh, roll your ten sided die for each of the stats, um, and then that gives you, uh, you know, you, you'd roll your d. 
10 for your intelligence, then your reflex and your dex, um, and it gives you a different stat based on on those as well. Um, or you can calculate them all completely um, using those pre-generated points. So that's for the stats as well as the skills. And there is a number of skills as well. Um, and they, they each, each skill falls under one of those main ability scores that I spoke through before. So there is a list yeah. of intelligence skills... There's a list of, sorry, they, they're technically broken down into other names, but they use like your intelligence or reflex or dexterity. They use one of those skills to, yeah, uh, one of those stats to derive from it. So yeah. you have what are called awareness skills, which are things that use um, like concentration or lip reading or perception. Um, you have body skills, which include things like, I won't list them all, but it includes things like athletics or dance, endurance, um, stealth, you have control skills, which is most of your, um, yeah, as you were saying, like your piloting skills, um, air vehicles, sea vehicles, land vehicles, or riding um, living creatures. Then you have education skills, which includes things like accounting or business, um, deduction, criminology, criminology science, tactics. So your languages in there as well. Yeah, uh, all that sort of stuff. Then you have fighting skills, which, you know, as it says, is fighting skills, uh, brawling, evasion, martial arts, or, or melee weapons. Um, you have performance skills, which is just acting or instrument skills. There's not a lot to the performance skills in this. Then you have ranged weapon skills, which as opposed to fighting skills is anything that shoots. So archery, um, guns, uh, shoulder arms, that sort of stuff. Then you have social skills, which include things like bribery or human perception, which is something that was really interesting in The Witcher, I think, was the human perception skill, um, reading people's facial expressions. So perception around um, social interactions as opposed to perceptions around the environment. Yeah, it's um, a nice little differentiation because some people, are, like, people can be really perceptive but not know shit about people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, which is something that comes up in D&D quite a bit where you have to use the yeah just the one skill for both things and it's like i don't think your character would be particularly good at that even though they have a high perception skill you know like it's it, it is a nice yeah, differentiation yeah. um as well as social skills you got things like personal grooming streetwise um and trading as well uh, and then lastly you have technique skills which is um basically your skills at different things so um how good anything you are. to do with like your hands like something that you you need it's not like you can know it like yeah, your education yeah. skills are all like intelligence based and that's something that's information that you know where your technique skills is like like actual practical physical technique real world applications so like first aid or forgery or um uh, photography lock picking. lock picking yeah that sort of stuff you know mechanics all that sort of stuff yeah you can't read a book on on mechanics and then suddenly know how to fix a car like you need to actually get the real world experience so that's a differentiation between techniques and education absolutely and much like we said with the stats there is also those three methods of generating your skill levels as well so um, you have a template for each of the roles that you can choose um, which again is what we did for uh, Steph's character as the exec and so if you go through to the exec tab it has all of the skills you're going to give a level to because you don't give a level to every skill um, or you don't have to give a level to every skill. And and then it tells you what your points you're going to put in that. So it goes down and says, okay, for athletics, you're going to give that to a level two. Brawling, you're going to give a level two. Concentration, level two. Uh, all the way down through all of those, giving different um, values to each of the ones as indicated. Um so that's the first method. The second method is uh, getting your 86 skill points to be distributed amongst those character skills with the second 
way of doing it though. You get the 86 points, but you are told which skills you should put those into. So that's based, your second based on your role. Based yeah. on your role, yeah. So you are told again for the exec, you need to put points into athletics, brawling, concentration, so on and so forth. But you're not told what those those levels need to be. You could you could spread them out however you want across those. Uh, and then lastly, uh, you are given. Uh, I think, is it 86 skill points again? Yes, it is. So you get 86 skill points again, but you can choose from any uh, any skill that you want. So you're not, yeah. you're not sort of given the list of skills that you should put them into. You can put them into whatever you want. Um, and it's just a really nice way to, again, it's just a really nice way to make it accessible for people. Um, I think not having to worry about what skills am I going to put these 86 points into. Um, Here's a table that has so many options for me and yeah. I can just choose the thing that I, or the things that I uh, want to be the most interesting yeah, for me or the things I want to explore. And now they're in. Great. Done. Beautiful. Um, so that is basically character creation. From there, you there can is... just choose some like uh, other things like weapons, um, what sort of armor you might have. Uh, but the only other thing I really want to touch on heavily, because it is, it's the thing that's different to any other sort of game is the cyberware. Um, mm. So let me, that's just... worth also there just with the stats, just quickly, there are some derived statistics. So you get your health by doing some math on oh, yeah, some, some of your numbers yeah. and your death saves as well and all that sort of thing. But there is another stat that you get called humanity, which comes into play with cyberware as well and, and your experiences in the world. So we'll talk about that in yeah. this little cyberware section too. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah. Apologies for not touching on the derived statistics, but yeah, that's, that's how right. you get those those things there. Um, another, again, another handy little table tucked away that you just look at and you go, oh, okay, so my health is this. And yeah. It's done. Yeah. Very minimal, minimal maths, which is really nice. Um, okay. So now I want to talk about cyberware, which is, yeah, it's probably the biggest part of cyberpunk that wouldn't have really been encountered in any other game i don't think because you know weapon yeah. weapon stats you will encounter that in other games things like that but cyberware is very very specific to this yeah, game. let's get chromed up boy let's get chromed up so um as we said earlier this game exists in a world where cyber tech and cyberware is very commonplace um and it has a bunch of different um uses um so cyberware in this game specifically in cyberpunk red falls into eight types you have first up you have fashion wear which is stuff that's installed um for like personal adornment it can change things like your skin color and all that sort of stuff um then you have neural wear which is stuff that you install to enhance or augment your reflexes and mental abilities you then have cyber optics, which is stuff that is installed to improve uh, visual abilities. You have cyber audio, which is stuff to improve um, hearing or auditory abilities. You have internal body cyberware, which is stuff that is implanted to uh, like improve organ function or systematic um, uh, systemic improvements. Then you have external cyberware, which is... Um, usually installed on or over uh, or through your skin. Um, so we'll get into more what that looks like in a minute. Uh, then we have cyber limbs, so cybernetic arms or legs that can be enhanced with a, a, a variety of things. So, you know, hand coverings, functions, things like that. Um, I think in, the, in 2077, one of the more common cyber limbs was the blade that could come out of your arm. Yeah, the mantis blades. Mantis yep. blades, yep. Uh, and then lastly, we have borgware, which is... Um, it. it Stuff that's kind of like sort of complete like, overhauls. Yeah, right? complete like overhauls. Like replace your entire replaces. skeleton, get yeah. new, get entirely new organs, or get a 
get a robot brain, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, it's kind of like your full full system overhaul. Um, I don't want to go through all of them because there is a lot, but I'm going to touch on some of the some of the some examples from each of these categories. So, like I said, with fashion wear, there is um, it's things about like you can change your skin color. So there's a thing called chem skin, which dyes and pigments um, infuse into the skin to permanently ch- uh, change its hue, which I think could be really handy for things like um, fitting in and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, then in th- in neural wear we have things like a neural link or an interface plug which is really really common in the cyberpunk world and i think that that was sort of the thing that i said to at least yourself i don't know if i've said it to the other guys yet if they haven't included it i will probably include a neural link and interface plugs uh in, yeah that's just that. so you can interact with all like the um digital stuff and like like machines and st- things right yeah absolutely yeah. yeah so you can basically just pull it out and plug into anything you need to interact with um, you also can have things like memory chips. So to, to install, to, to store data and stuff like that, uh, in cyber optics, you can have things like color shift, which changes the color or pattern for the eye, um, which could be really good to like overcome, uh, optical scanners and things like that. Uh, cyber audio, uh, allows you to have like audio recorders or, um, directional, uh, directional detectors, things like that. Um, look, there's actually heaps of them, so I'm probably not going to go through all of them. I'll probably just stop there. But yeah, there is a lot of uh, different um, cyberware that you can install in the body of your character, which is really, really fascinating. And it's worth a look alone, I think. Yeah, it's it's absolutely cool. Like, because there's so many things you just would like go, oh, I would never have thought of that as a thing. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the amount of just like brain based stuff is really interesting and really, really cool sort of um, like interesting interactions with the game rules that come out of the cyberware, which is really fun. Um, I've gone a really simple route with my character's cyberware because we were allowed to have one cyberware. Yep. And I have a cyber arm with a grenade launcher in it and that's it. And, like, <laughs> that's I, all, just a grenade launcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you said we could have one, that's what I'm choosing. Um, because all the other stuff I was like, this, none of this is relevant to me being a nomad. Yeah. Um, and there was some stuff where it's like, oh, I can get shoulder mounted flash things or I can hack things with my brain or whatever. But like, I was just like, nah, none of this is really relevant. There wasn't anything interesting for like driving. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what? It's backstory stuff. I'm going to go with the grenade launcher in my, in my arm and have a metal arm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Um, I will probably regret allowing you a grenade launcher in your arm at some point. Hey, I only have two shots. Don't worry. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Um, but that's pretty much it in terms of creating your character. Once you've got your character and you um, you are good to go, there's just a couple of more things that we want to talk about in this um, in this sort of breakdown. But again, it works very very similarly to the way that the the Witcher um, the Witcher campaign did. So if you've already listened to that and you've already got an understanding of that, you could probably you could probably skip this section and just come back to us uh, in about five ten minutes. But um, skills are used in this world to do things and things can be done um, whenever something that needs to be done. That isn't just a normal everyday thing. Like you're not going to ask someone to roll an ability check to walk down the street. If it's something that their character does 
regularly unless there's some reason why you would do that but when a character wants to perform a task that is a little bit more difficult you would ask them to um, roll a skill check and the way that skill checks work is that you take your d10 which is really nice that this campaign mostly only uses d10s except for uh, combat which uses d6s usually um, yeah for damage for damage at least yep Um, and all you will do is you'll roll your d10 and then you will add both your stat level for the skill that you are skill checking and the skill level. So if I was to roll a, let me just pull up the um, the uh, character shit I've got here. If you wanted to, uh, this is for the character I made with Steph. Let's say that you're trying to sneak through a building. I will ask you to roll a stealth check. Now stealth is a dexterity skill and stealth in um, Steph's character sheet has a level of two and her, her, dexterity is level five so i'll roll my d10 let's say i roll it at a five i'm gonna add the five for the dexterity to that giving us 10 and then the two from the stealth skill level giving us a total of 12. that's the most complicated maths there is um adding your skill and your stat to your dice roll it's pretty easy once you get to the hang of it but that yeah that is the most complicated maths there is yeah and the, the good thing is as well as with the character sheets that you get with the system, it has like your base statistic, your how much you put into that stat itself, and then the total that you can fill in on your sheet. Yeah. So you always just need to look, you go, oh, I'm going to do stealth. Okay, I rolled a, like my character stealth is 12. I rolled a six, so I know I've got an 18. Like yeah. it's that quick and that easy. You don't need to plus it together every single time. Mm. Um, and, and the character sheet, whilst it is there's a lot on it, it does sort of have it nicely laid out for that. So yeah, it's really easy to see because you can go. Oh, I'm fighting. I'm looking at my fighting skills because that's underlined like boldened, so it's all in the category. Really easy to find. Yeah. Um, there is criticals and failures in this one. Yes, um, there is. Um, yeah. So uh, if you roll a one. You, you roll your dice again, and then you and take you, that from the. You remove it from yeah. your total. Yeah. And then if you roll a 10, you roll your dice again and, you and add then it. add the new one to your 10 as well. Yep. Okay. Um, That's right. Yes. Okay. The interesting thing and the difference between this and the Witcher game is that Witcher, if you keep rolling 10s, you keep rolling. But in this game, you roll a 10 once and then you roll a 10 again and that's it. Yeah. Okay. So it, it allows you to sort of, um, there, there is a ceiling to how well you can do Correct, in a game, yeah. in a game or in a check, sorry, in a check. But, um, that is pretty much it for skills and abilities and, and, you know, overcoming, uh, problems. The last little bit I want to talk about, unless you, Jesse, have anything you wanted to add to that lastly? Um, no, that's pretty much it. There, there is a lot of mechanics specifically for other things, but they really only need to be looked at when they come up. For example, yeah. like if you're going to do suppressive fire, there is a little rule set for that. But generally, almost every single thing that you can do that is that is that takes some form of exertion is your main um, attribute, whatever that is, your intelligence, reflex, dexterity, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Your skill whatever that is, and then the 10-sided dice, it's always going to be ability, skill, dice Yeah. Um, for whatever you do. So that, that always makes it really simple. Um, like I know like suppressive fire, it's like it's your will plus your concentration plus a D10, for example. Um, and then 
you know, all pretty much anything you can think of. Even like there's a lot of a there's like a lot of moves or like things you can do in combat. All of those things are always like reflex plus athletics and your dice roll. Yeah. Like it's always one of those three. So there's no real like I find that D and D can sometimes have a lot of really unique and strange interactions and and things you need to do. Yeah. But but for this one, it's always just gonna be ability, skill, dice every time, which is great. Yeah. Unless you're doing damage, and then it's the an amount of it's D6s. amount of d sixes. Yeah, yeah. But that and again, that's specific to the the weapon and and um and that sort of thing. So we won't go into those, but we'll get to those if they when well if and when they come up. Um, but getting into combat uh, starts with when combat starts, much like with D and D or any other sort of game, we start with an initiative roll. Everyone rolls for initiative, and that determines the um, order. T- the order um, track, turn order. What am I trying to say? Is that what I mean? Yep, turn, turn order. order. Yeah, That's thank you. Um, and you roll your D ten, and then you add your reflex modifier to it. So in Steph's case, her reflex modifier is five. So if she rolls an eight, she adds her five to it. And she gets a 13. So, um, and it just moves in turn from highest to lowest on those. Ironically, it, initiative is the one thing, one of a few things that's just an ability in your dice score. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that everything is ability and skill and dice. This one is not. It's just ability, it's your reflex and your roll. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then for every turn in combat, you can do one movement action and then one other sort of action. So, um, your. Other sort of actions are things like attacking or, or um, defending, uh, taking choking, cover, choking, equipping. grappling, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, there's there's two types of combat. You've got ranged combat or melee combat. And they both work in very similar ways. Uh, so you have um, ranged weapon... Uh, sorry, ranged combat is resolved by doing a sort of a, a attacker versus defender role. So you... As the attacker, you would roll your d10. You have a relevant weapon skill, which will be uh, a handgun or a heavy pistol, things like that. You will have a level of that skill, and then you've got your reflex modifier as well. So you add those two together and your d10, and that gives you a number. Um, You then have uh, the defender rolling a d10, plusing their evasion skill and their dexterity skill. And then there is a difficulty value that is determined based by the range of the weapon, uh, sorry, range of the target and the weapon. So the further away they are, the higher that difficulty value is going to also be. Um, So that is something to keep in mind as well. Um, But basically, look, if you, you as the attacker beat that, that's value that the defender the defender rolls you win uh any tie works in the defender's favor um and so you do some damage to the defender and then you roll your uh your damage based on what your what weapon you're using Mm. um and then from there like based on that damage um if if a character's wearing armor you have to beat their stopping power yes um so uh average stopping power let's say it's six you need to do more than six damage to actually hurt them. Yeah. If you do do more than six damage to that person, their stopping power reduces by one. So the next time you have to hit them, you only need to pass a five in with, terms of damage to do damage. With that, um, it, let's say that the stopping power is six and I've rolled an eight. Do I do eight damage or just two damage? If it's, yeah, yeah. So you do the difference. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Unless you have an armor piercing quality, 
which ignores the stopping power. Yeah. Okay. So some 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 weapons or ammo or uh, will have armor piercing, and it ignores a certain amount of stopping power. Yeah. Um, I also think that if you go over the stopping power by like dramatic amounts, it increases the amount you damage it by. So and can increase the stopping power quicker. That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but that again, that stuff's really only relevant for the DM to know. Yeah. Um, and because we'll talk stopping- about it if it comes up. Yeah, you only need to know your own stopping power to determine how much damage you're taking. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so that's ranged weapons. Um, melee weapon combats is quite similar. There's just a little bit less maths to be done because obviously you're going to be a lot closer. So the difficulty variable based on distance doesn't come into it at all. It's just you as the attacker, you roll your D10, you add your melee, melee attack skill, which again has a skill level on the character sheet, and then your dexterity skill, not your uh, reflex skill this time. And then you, the defender rolls their dexterity skill, their evasion skill, and their d10 and again if you beat it you damage them if you roll if you tie the defender wins the tie um and then you roll for damage as per um uh, as per you would with ranged combat the only thing that i will say that's different about uh melee combat is that unless it is a very heavy melee weapon all melee combat has a rate of fire of two Rate of fire is how many times you can attack when you do an attack action. Yeah. Um, so any any melee weapon can attack twice when they attack. Yeah. Um, that's just that's just a flat rule. Um, and obviously you have to be within melee range, which I think is two meters for this system. Yes. Yep. Um, to, to actually do melee combat. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so that's all stuff to keep in mind. Um, the last time, the last thing I want to just briefly touch on that's to do with. Um, with combat is wound states because it may happen and it Mm. happened quite severely and significantly with the witcher um but there is just um there's a number of different ways so you you start off with a level of health points um if you take any damage then you are considered your wound state is considered lightly wounded if you take less than uh if you have less than half of your remaining hit points you are considered seriously wounded and when you're seriously wounded you have a negative two to all actions that you attempt um so that's something to keep in mind the longer combat goes on and the more it drains you the harder it's going to be for you to continue uh doing your attacks or your actions uh anything less than uh one hp is considered mortally wounded you can take you take a negative four to all actions a negative six to your movement there's a whole bunch of different stuff there uh and then you have um you are dead as well and when you're dead in cyberpunk you are dead you're never coming back uh there's no magic to bring you back to life no so that's something to keep in mind um when an attack is done against someone, either you are attacking someone or they are attacking you, if two or more dice that are rolled for damaged, uh, that are rolled for damage come up as a six, then you get a, what's called a critical injury. And this, is, again, is very similar to The Witcher, and I think it really fucked us in The Witcher. So, oh, yeah. um, and basically... But you get your revenge now, Will. You can critically injure me. I do, I do. <laughs> uh, and then basically you take two D6s and you roll both of those D6s, and then the value that comes up, there is a critical injury um, body and head table. Uh, so if I rolled a six on the critical injuries to the body, there would be a broken arm. So any arm that's um, anything that's being held in that arm is dropped, the arm can't be moved, that sort of thing. Um, 
If it's a two, though, your arm is gone. gone. It's dismembered. (laughs) It's dismembered. There's no like higher value is worse. There is uh, high values are worse, low values are worse. Everything kind of sucks. But then critical injuries to the head, obviously, um, you know, quite a bit worse in some ways. A a three, and that is a brain injury. Um, Negative, say, two to all actions, um, things like that. So, not really fun that we want to. um, Not really fun things that we want to do. So. Um, so the last thing that we should probably talk about in terms of wounding and stuff like that is death saves. So if you begin, uh, one of your turns, so in your turn in the, in the combat where you are in a mortally wounded state, so you have less than one HP, you have to make a death save. Now in making a death save, you roll a D 10. And if you roll under your body stat level, you live and then you can take your turn as usual. So if I just used uh, Steph's character sheet again as a reference, her body uh, stat is five. So if she's rolling, if she rolls her D10 and it's under five, she lives and can take her turn. However, if it is over that, she fails her death save, character is dead. There's no coming Straight back. Up. From that. Straight up. Character Straight up, is dead. dead. So it can happen, if you're not careful, it can happen really quickly and really brutally. Um, Something else just to mention is that it mentions uh, in the death save section that if you roll a 10, you automatically fail your death saves. What we have sort of discussed and imagined that to be the case for is that if you have a body skill that is 10, essentially that is saying that it's still possible to fail your death roll, even if you roll your body skill level. Um, Yeah, because if you need to get under your body score to live, but you're a 10, you can't you can't do roll that. that. So there is still the possibility for you to die if you have a body yes. skill of 10. So I guess the way the game is sort of doing this is like, even if you have the best body, you still have a one in 10 chance of dying if you're on death saves. So yeah. like, you, no one's safe. No one's safe. No one's safe. Uh, and then lastly, we should probably just touch on humanity, Jesse. Did you want to quickly run us through that? Yeah. So humanity's a, a unique thing to this game. Um, because of a state called cyberpsychosis. But humanity is basically a measure of how well you interact with the world and other people in it. People with very low humanity stats have a lot of problems with human interactions. So they may become sociopathic, withdrawn or disassociated or even homicidal. If your character's humil- uh, humanity stat drops below zero, that that is also like, that represents the death of your character's emotional life. Yeah. So they slide into cyberpsychosis, which... It's different for everyone, but it's pretty much homicidal mania, mental disassociation, that sort of stuff. Um, And the the other cool thing about this is it's called cyberpsychosis because it's very typical in people that get a lot of cyberware enhancements. So physical cyberware enhancements or even just like ones in the brain. Um, Pretty much every bit of cyberware has a cost of humanity to install. Yeah. So you... The more cyberware you, you you take, the lower your humanity gets. And the, the really interesting thing is um, the DM can throw things at you that would lower your humanity. Yeah. So if you're running really low and you've got a bunch of cyberware, like I think in the book at one point, it's like if you like if you see a bunch of like psychos out in the desert eating a baby or something like yeah, that. It yeah. Literally, it says in the book, you immediately negative six humanity. Yeah. And yeah. if you have less than six, you're a cyber psycho now. You've lost it. You've lost it. You've gone ballistic. Yeah. So that's really cool. It is cool. Um, it's a cool way of sort of giving you 
stakes that aren't just about combat as well. Like mental trauma yeah. is really is a real thing. And it's cool because it's like the cyber- cybernetics are like one of the most interesting parts of this game. So you would definitely want to just keep upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. Yeah. But you're gonna run out of humanity. Um and the only way your humanity like you don't like really get humanity back either. No. Um so if you're doing a like I- a long running campaign of this, it's something you have to manage quite carefully. Yeah, the only way to get it back is by increasing your empathy. So your empathy determines your base humanity score. Yeah. If you have an empathy of 10, you have 100 humanity. If you have an empathy of 4, you have 40. Yeah. Um, so the only way to get more empathy is by increasing your score. However, it doesn't... Like, if I go from 4 empathy to 5 empathy, mm. I just get 10 back. I don't go to 40 and then go to 50. Yeah. So if I'm on 10, I just go to 20. So it does, you can never get back what you've lost. You can only improve your capacity, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Um, and the humanity loss is 2d6s for, for most cybernetics. So you could roll really bad and lose 12 empathy by getting cyber arms, or you could roll really well and only lose two. Yeah. So again, there's that element of luck in there as, as well to, as to how capable your person is on taking cybernetics which is really cool it is cool it is cool but that's pretty much yes yeah, so if you if you get cyber psychosis i'm pretty sure your character is like done like it's can you are considered dead yeah they don't like sort of... you know they don't really outline it but in every single situation where cyber psychosis is encountered in most of the games mm. or even the edge runner series that character is pretty much considered gone there's no cure yeah. for cyber psychosis yeah. i think in 2077 you try and figure out what it's about but that's like 32 years in the future so sorry it's not an option <laughs> yeah so yeah cyber psychosis is something you want to avoid because if you're with your party and and you get cyber psychosis you're probably just going to go ballistic and turn on them yeah um yeah but the the edge runner series has a really good way of showing it um, so if you're really interested in that, I highly recommend watching Edge Runners because there's, it really, really makes it cool. And you sort of understand that they're not just going ballistic and they're not just going psycho. Like they treat it with, with a bit more respect. It's not just like, oh, he's crazy. Yeah. It, there's, there's, you know, it's more, your mind regresses to a point where you don't really understand what's happening anymore. Yeah. And you're reliving memories or, or traumatic pasts, kind of PTSD-esque in a way. Yeah. Um, and you are no longer in control, let's say. Yeah. Um, so I imagine there could be re- some really beautiful, like internal moments for a character when they've gone cyber psychosis, you could sort of step out of it and give like a really good send off mentally for that, for that character. Yeah. But it could also be like, yeah, but while that's happening, they're killing people. So like you could have that, you could play with that duality in that space, which would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. But that's uh, pretty much uh, it for the rules. That's the system, that's the in a system, nutshell. In the nutshell. Um, hopefully this has helped. Um, and hopefully this gives you... Doesn't make this system seem so daunting. The The source book is nearly 500 pages. But it's worth noting that, again, like half of that is lore. It is so much That lore. you do yeah. not need to read. No. If you do not want to. Um, I recommend reading it because it's really cool and it's really well written. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's it's not the be all and end all. Um, again, there's also there. Uh, I did look into it, so there is other source books for Cyberpunk Red. Okay, yeah. Um, there is basically there's a bunch of like stuff that assists you with the game. So like there's 
like a data screen, okay, uh, yeah, like yeah. a data pack, net running deck, uh, like an interface stuff. Um, but then there's also like Tales of Red, like street stories. So like new full length missions. There's some free DLC as well that you can get online. Okay, yeah. Um, but it's but it's there's no additional massive source books. It's just like so there's no additional uh, roles like, or anything. It's just that sort of no 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 no. It's okay. just like. Um, I can't see anything with new roles. No, it's it's just all like more content or like helpful tools to play the game better and quicker, that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. There is there is um a really cool conversion for Cyberpunk 2020 to bring like a lot of old Cyberpunk 2020 stuff into Cyberpunk Red. Yeah, okay. So if you played that game first, you can then bring some stuff in from there, which is really cool. Yeah, nice. There's some stuff which in, like brings in some new weapons and stuff. There's like new NPCs. Um, there's like, hey, you want houses? Here's a here's the thing for houses. Here's the thing for weather rules. Here's the thing for scavenging. Yeah, okay. But yeah, there's all that sort of stuff. Supplements, basically. I would say there's no real like big heavy content um, books like like no modules or anything. But it's all like supplements and 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 erratas and and new stuff like that. Nice. Um, it's worth stating there is some planned content um, that's meant to be coming out, though. That is that. So there's Black Chrome, I think, uh, Danger Gal Dossier, and Rogue Street Weapons. So a, a bunch of expansions as well are coming up. Sweet. Um, they were set for 2022, but I imagine that's been pushed back since a bit. Yeah, because of... It's stuff. also worth noting that there is... <coughs> it's also worth noting there is a planned expansion to convert... 2045 to 2077 so if you want to play in the game in the video game world and the edge runners world there will be content for doing that as well which is really cool yeah cool all right well that's uh yeah that's the system system um we are playing uh very soon very soon we will be um recording at time of recording this episode we are playing next week um and we have our cast we have steph coming along along with callum and jonathan who are joining yourself, Jesse, and uh, and as I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm DMing this one. Um, do you have a little sneak peek for I us? I do. Well? I do. Very exciting. All right. <clears throat> All right. Take us away. Good morning, Night City! Yesterday's body count lottery rounded out to a heavy dive at 45. 13 out of Westbrook alone thanks to that incident at the Rockaboy concert. Two officers are missing and presumed unhappy, so I guess get ready for continued tender and loving fondling from the NCPD as they spare no expense to continue their ineffective and tyrannical rule. We got another blackout in Watson. The team from Arasaka Industries says it's nothing to be worried about, so you know it's definitely something to worry about. Our netrunner on the street hasn't turned up any news though, so maybe, just maybe, Arasaka is right. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think so either. While over at Santa Domingo, trauma teams cleaning up the latest and greatest nomad gang who thought they could take on a Militech convoy. Stay in school, kids, and don't do drugs. Lastly, over to Pacifica, where, well, nothing has really changed. This has been your man, Stan. Join me for another day in our City of Dreams. Great. Yep. 
Awesome. Uh, f- fun little reference to the video. Yeah, game I tried to take inspiration that. from that. So. That's very cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, until uh, next week, uh, we will see well, you next then. episode. Next episode, yes. We will see you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. Tabletop unknown.